Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? This is Aiden Taco Jones, and you are listening to Coffee Is What Happens When You're Busy Making Plans. I'm number one. Sorry about my voice. Oh, my God. Listen to it. Jesus Christ. It's been a crazy week. I didn't even know, to be honest. I didn't know if I was going to be able to find time to record the pod this week, but I'm in my, um, I'm in my hostel in Madrid, and oh, where do I start? The last couple of days has been pretty grim. I've re- <laughs> really drank myself into a stupor um, over the over the Champions League final, um, which was an amazing thing. But I guess I'll start with the coffee, man. This podcast is uh, the podcast where I travel around the world in search of the perfect cafe. And if you've listened to the last few episodes, you'll know that I bought a book called Where to Find Coffee, Where to Drink Coffee. And... Uh, it's got recommendations for coffee shops all around the world, <clears throat> but the first place that I get to outside of Melbourne, there's no cafe recommendations for Madrid in my goddamn book. So um, I looked up specialty coffee. I thought maybe I'll start, you know, maybe I'll just find something, or maybe there's not a big coffee scene in Madrid. It's the fourth biggest city in Europe, though, surely. I look up specialty coffee. And there's a really uh, new scene. So I've been to a bunch of different places and uh, read a couple of interesting articles about why. It seems to me, from what I can gather about Madrid, they're very protective of their own identity. Like I went on a tour, I went on a walking tour um, <clears throat> the first day I got here. And uh, the guy giving the tour, he, t- he told us this story that um, Madrid was one of the last cities in Europe to get to have plumbing. Uh, they just used to throw the shit in buckets out of their windows. And uh, that was until like 200 years ago. And then the first, I don't know if it was a king or just the guy, the boss of the city, right, whatever guy was governing the city, uh, was like, this is actually really bad hygienically. Like, those streets were covered in shit. So you had to literally wade through shit in the streets. People would throw out uh, their shoes outside and then walk outside, put their shoes on, walk to their friend's house and just chuck the shoes away and just find a new pair of shoes because they didn't want to walk through the house in the shoes that they wore. It was so dirty and disgusting, right? And if you, got, if you got someone threw shit on you out of a window and it went all over your face, it would go in your eyes, you'd get infections from the bacteria and you would die. So it was like a serious problem. And this first guy who said, you know, let's try and get some plumbing. Other cities in Europe have had pl- plumbing for fucking hundreds of years. The, the madrileños would like fuck you no this is our tradition it's our tradition to throw shit out of the windows and onto each other and they fucking fought against this guy for eight for like i think they i think they maybe pushed him out of power and then the guy thought of an idea to come back and, and basically tell them that people in other cities were doing, I, don't, I can't even i can't remember exactly how he did it but he used like a he kind of used like a marketing trick or like a propaganda trick to um, finally convince them. So he, he couldn't convince them with science or like you don't want to die, but with propaganda, he convinced them to fucking get plumbing and stop throwing shit out of the windows. But anyway, so I feel like uh, the people of Madrid are very protective over their identity. And I've started thinking about, I mean, what, what am I trying to do on this podcast? I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find places that I like which is basically shorthand for I'm trying to find parts of home wherever I go, you know? I'm trying to find places that I'm used to because I like to go to coffee shops. That's where I sit and write every day and I want to be able to do that when I go somewhere else. But inevitably, when I go somewhere else, it's going to be different. 
you know? So I'm trying to find the same feeling from the places that I like in Australia, but in other cities around the world. And coming to Madrid and expecting to find coffee shops that are the same as the ones in Australia, it's almost like it's almost like coffee as a sort of soft power imperialism. I don't know if that's uh, reading into it too much, but to 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 want it to be the same here as it is in Australia is kind of crazy, you know? And uh, it almost is... I've been thinking about how you can tell how... Because it's very anglicized. My idea of a coffee shop is very anglicized, you know? The ones, the third wave coffee shops that started in, in uh, Australia and New Zealand and then they've spread out to America and to the UK. So everywhere where English is a first language. And to expect those to spread into the rest of Europe is, I don't know, it's kind of like selfish almost in a way, but it's, it's, it's almost the same with stand-up comedy, you know, I expect to be able to do stand-up comedy in English in these countries, just the same as I expect to be able to sit in a cafe that's the same, I think what I would rather, and what I've tried to find in Madrid, but I haven't quite found, but I'm, this, I think this is going to be what it's more about now is not so much finding cafes that are the same, but finding cafes where the local culture has assimilated the Australian, New Zealand ideas of third wave coffee, but made it a little bit their own, you know? And a few of the places I've been to, I don't know, there's been a good scope. I've been to uh, a place called Bocono, a place called Coffee and Kicks. I've been to Toma Cafe and I've been to Religion Specialty Coffee. Bocono was probably that was the first one that I went to it was just closest to the first hostel that I was staying in and I think it was most for me it felt the most foreign to me it felt the least like something that I was expecting not least because I got there at 8 30 in the morning and there was no one there people didn't really rock up until 9 30 and I was like oh it's because Madrid is a late city these places are also open until 8 in the evening because Madrid's a late city whereas in Melbourne places are open at 6 30 but done by like 3 3 30 and then uh, Coffee and Kicks, Toma Cafe, I did a little bit of reading, Toma Cafe was the first uh, in like 2012, I think, opened up, and before that, there was no specialty coffee in Madrid. It was, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that Madrid is a bigger city than Barcelona, like by far bigger in population, but Barcelona feels more kind of cosmopolitan, it, feel, it feels like it's been more assimilated into the global cosmopolitan idea of a city you know of like a london or a mel or just more anglicized whereas um madrid it, it really feels like it feel, i don't know it kind of feels spanish maybe that's because it's bigger or maybe that's because barcelona is its own thing and the the fucking catalans would hate me talking about their city as if it's like like england right now um yeah, Toma Cafe was the first one. It was uh, a barista from, I'm not going to be able to remember, maybe Poland, came to Madrid and uh, had learned to make coffee in London. Or maybe he was from Madrid, whoever, whoever the fuck it was. Some guy had learned to make coffee in London and then came down to Madrid and uh, opened this new kind of cafe. And within a few years, like there's so many have popped up now, which I guess is, that goes to show the power of a huge population of this city, um, that as soon as there's one and people kind of start to latch onto it, there's just more and more. And by the time I got to Religion Specialty Coffee, which is where I went yesterday, I mean, that 
that very much feels like I could be in Melbourne, you know, except for the layout of the building, which is still like cramped and a bit more European, but the rest of it, I I reckon I probably could have walked up to that counter and spoken in English to them and it would have been fine. I wouldn't have even needed to speak Spanish. And that's, I don't want that, you know, I want a place where I still feel like there's some Spanish influence. Um, I've had an amazing time in Madrid, man, honestly. This city is incredible and I've had so much of the... I've, I've not even really been focusing that much on the coffee. Like, I've still tried to find a few things. But the joy that I've had has been from the football, number one. Oh, my God. And uh, number two, from the food, from fucking eating the tapas, from going to... I went to the uh, Museo, de, Museo del Prado, the Museum of the Prado, um, which was absolutely fucking incredible. I went and saw... Um, it's like, it's like the, it's the museum in Madrid and um, more rooms than you could ever go to in one day. I think I spent three or four hours there. And I was, uh, it's, it's all kind of chronologically ordered, so you can walk through and you, it starts with uh, portraiture, Spanish portraits in like, from like the 1400s or the 1500s. And um, I don't know, a lot of the time museums kind of feel samey to me. Like I feel like I'm just looking at the same thing over and over again, and that was this king, and that was this king. And then you get to Goya, who I'd, I'd kind of heard the name before. I'd never really heard that much about him. But um, they did have explanations of the major artists. They had a bit of a biography on the wall, which I love because I want to know the stories. But all of the paintings kind of looked the same from like the 1400s 1500s through to around 1800. And then you get Goya. And this guy was like fucking completely different to anything that had come before him. It was amazing. Like, the way that he did the faces, it just made the rest of the stuff that had come before it look like fucking horse shit. He just... I don't even know how he did it. There were just some subtle lines on the faces that changed them from being, like, faces of people on a painting to, like, faces of actual people where you could kind of see the kind of person that they were. Like, there was this one guy... I can't remember the name of the dude. I haven't written it down. But it was his brother-in-law. So there was like a little description next to this one painting. And it was just a normal portrait, right? Like maybe that he was commissioned by this guy to paint him. Just a, a good-looking dude standing there in a like a, a kind of... Uh, what's the word? Like this, the, the traditional dress of the court, you know? Um, but it was actually his brother-in-law. So it was, his, it was Goya's wife's brother. And I read the about section on the plaque and it said this guy was, they didn't really like each other. They didn't get on. They had a very difficult relationship. And then I look at the painting and this guy's face on the painting, he's like scowling. He looks like a douche. <laughs> and I kind of thought it looks like Goya has taken out his disliking of this guy in the painting. So I was like, yo, I'm going to paint you, but I'm also going to make you look like a dick because you're a dick because that's how he saw him. Like, I wonder how the guy who got... I wonder how he felt about that. I wonder whether they could see what Goya was doing in the painting or whether they just looked at it like it was the same as everything else. Surely they could see. Surely he knew that that was a... It felt like fucking shots, you know? It felt like he was actually dissing this guy in painting form. Like, it was an 1800s version of... I don't know. <laughs> writing some stupid comments about someone online or writing a status about someone, you know? But it was a painting, like a, a whole fucking painting that's in a museum over 200 years later. 
and that guy's dead, but everyone thinks he's a dick. <laughs> and a lot of the um, a lot of the plaques next to the Goya works were basically saying that you wouldn't see stuff like that again in in um, like no one was painting like that again after Goya for like 50, 60 years. That's how ahead of his time he was. And uh, there was this one room, so I was, try- I was just, as soon as I saw the Goya and realized I wanted to see more Goya, I was like, where do I find more of this stuff? So I look on the map, and there's this one room uh, downstairs, and they were, I think they were called the dark paintings, or the black paintings. Um, and from what I could understand, he had painted these on canvas in his house, on the wall, and hung them on the walls of his house, but like stuck them to the walls. And then when he sold his house after he died, someone took his house or whatever, whatever. Whoever took it realized how important these paintings were. So they had to peel them off the walls and some bits of them were lost. But um, it's not, it's, I guess maybe because it was his house. So he felt a, a little bit more like I'm going to really express myself here. It changed from just being pictures of people or battles or, I mean, there was some, oh, that, uh, the, I think it's the May the 3rd, the picture of, um, the picture that he did, the painting that he did of the soldiers basically lining up to execute these rebels was crazy and so dark and so political. But then uh, in, the, in the black paintings, it was like kind of abstract stuff. Like um, the one that really got to me was there a, a Greek god. I can't remember which Greek god, but as legend had it, he... Um, he felt like his son was eventually going to usurp him and take his power so he ate his son and the painting that Goya did to represent it was he just a naked old man with a beard eating a fucking human body and it would I mean there was nothing else like that in the museum it was so dark man it was terrifying and then in the next room you've just got you know a fucking court dude like a king with his son or whatever looking like like a family photo and then in the next room you've got a fucking old man eating a human body fuck me man and um what were some of the other ones there were just like like uh, huge landscape paintings with like all dark landscapes and like a, a line of people like marching onwards and all of their faces are just like fallow and sad and fuck it really was quite affecting to be honest I could not recommend that highly enough. So that was um, that was the museum, and then uh, I mean, and that was Wednesday, I think, or Thursday. I can't remember. But then, like, then we started. You know, people started showing up uh, on Wednesday night. I met uh, a few Spurs fans. Big shout outs to anyone from uh, the Thirty Percent or from the Fighting Cock podcast. Um, from the to- or any of the Tottenham supporters who came to Madrid, man, we had an amazing time. And any of the Liverpool supporters as well. Congratulations to Liverpool for uh, for winning the Champions League. Fair play, man. It was a it was a shit game. You guys played the least shit out of the two teams. <laughs> um, it was really a devastating result. But the days that we had, like the week that we had beforehand, Wednesday night. We, uh, we went into the square. I met up with some guys from this Tottenham group and we went into the square and, and sang songs. There were maybe 50 of us and there were probably 200 Liverpool supporters at that point. And then the next day, there was just like a pub full of Spurs. That was Thursday. There was just this pub full of Spurs and we were singing and dancing. And then Friday, Friday was uh, the show, the show that I put on, which like not a lot of people came to. 
but whatever, man, that's so fine. We had good fun there, and then we went out again and really went for it. And then Saturday was just like the whole day, man. I, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know if I can. It's. I think football for me is something that I always feel like an outsider with football fans, you know? I always feel like I don't... Because I didn't grow up in an area that supported football and because I don't have the support for this club in my family, I kind of feel like I'm imposing a little bit. Like I'm an imposter, you know? I I feel like an imposter. And uh, next to all these guys who have been supporting Spurs for their whole lives and, and, you know, their dads and their grandpas and they've got stories from 30, 40 years ago going to games when they were kids... And, and then here I am going, oh, I started supporting Spurs in 2012. I feel like an imposter. And, and, and then, again, supporting them from Australia, it's, it's even worse. But I do it because there's still this sense of community. And I do it because of, you know, the few friends of mine who I have who I can kind of share it with. But coming here, and it was such a weird leap of faith that I took to even buy the tickets here. I really had no plan and I didn't know how it was going to go down. And, uh, and then to get put in this WhatsApp group with all these other guys and to have them just ready to meet me and, and kind of like, yeah, man, do you want to come with us? Come with us. We're going to the thing, of course. Straight away, I felt accepted into this community. And that's I, I just... People say, like... <laughs> people say guys don't know how to connect with each other, but talk to any guys about football or go and watch football like this we got we're the most <laughs> sappy emotional fucking you know love struck losers on the face of the earth man we really fucking this weekend we were wearing our hearts on our sleeves and um i remember saying to some of the guys on saturday like i wish that we didn't even have to play this stupid fucking game man i wish we could just stay in this forever because just sitting around drinking with these guys talking about football, telling jokes and, and, and singing songs about football all day. I mean, listen to my voice, man. I haven't spoken to anyone in like two days, really. But it's still fucked because of all the singing that we did <laughs> and the drinking and smoking cigarettes and all of that stuff. I, um... <sighs> yeah, and then the next day, like... After the game, we all just kind of went home. The, the second goal went in. The, first, the penalty after 22 seconds, what a nightmare. And then the second goal went in five minutes from time. And me and the other dude that I was, um, that I was hanging out with, when we, we didn't obviously have tickets to the stadium. So we just <laughs> were trying to find a bar. Oh, my God. Like, we were at the Tottenham fan zone in the day. And I've got, we got, oh my God, we got on the news as well. We got on the news in the UK. Um, we were singing and dancing in this big square in the fan zone. And then some of the guys who had tickets went to the game. And the rest of us who didn't have tickets went to try and find a pub to watch in. We'd heard this place called Nomads was going to have 25 euros all you can drink. So we go there. <clears throat> and it's supposed to be opening at like six or seven or something. We get there at about five and there's a line of like, 200 people waiting outside the pub's not open we're just in the sun sweltering sweating there's dudes walking around selling beers from the supermarket for, for like a 200 percent markup so we're buying those and after about two hours the word just keeps coming they're not opening the bar they're scared i think the media and and, and the fucking press had fed the people of madrid this idea that 
English fans were just going to be a nightmare. We're just going to be, you know, fighting and, and smashing the place up. And I didn't see any of that all week. I didn't see... It. There was one dickhead at a bar when uh, the Sp- us Spurs fans and the Liverpool fans were singing across to each other and someone threw a plastic bottle at the Liverpool fans. And as soon as that happened, the Liverpool fans started charging towards us. But... We turned around and went, whoever the fuck that was, you go over and apologize right now. And we went over and apologized to them profusely. And it all kind of, it smoothed over, man. It wasn't a fight at all. It was just one one dickhead. But as soon as that person kind of reared their ugly head, it was like, no, we're not about that. That's not what we're trying to do. You need to apologize or you need to leave. I didn't see any trouble all week, man. But I think the people of Madrid had been fed this idea that English football fans were going to be trouble and so they were so scared it felt like really like the staff of a lot of bars and restaurants and stuff were were scared of us even just being there even though nothing was really going wrong they just had this idea that like at any second it's about to kick off and they're going to burn our fucking city to the ground and so when we got to Nomads there were just it was like it was like getting to fucking like 7, 7.30 and they still weren't opening the bar and the game was at 8.30. So um, me and this guy JB just left and went to uh, around the corner to another bar that was opening, but it was going to be 50 euro in and we were like, fuck it, this is, this is what we have to do. 50 euro, 50 euro to watch a game of football in a fucking bar, man. But, um, and to watch to watch my team lose, you know. And as soon as that second goal went in, we walked out. We just got up and walked out. But then even after the game, we were walking around the city of Madrid, looking for somewhere to drink or somewhere to something to do. And it just and just Liverpool fans coming up to us and were you know hugging, shaking hands, congratulations to them. And they were saying, "Well done, good season to you guys." All of that. It was great. It was so fucking lovely. And I feel like I've met people now from all around the world, Spurs fans from all around the world, and shared this thing with them. And we fucking have that forever. Oh, my God. I'm being such a sap. Anyway, that was amazing. And uh, on Sunday, I met up with uh, a few other dudes who I'd never met. Uh, This comic, Alan Henderson from the States, who lives in Bratislava in Slovakia. I met up with some of his friends who are Liverpool fans. And we just sat in the pub all afternoon, drinking, telling jokes again. Uh, and then yesterday I got back to the hostel and just dead, man, dead. All day. I barely ate anything. I ate, I think, on Sunday I, I ate a, a fucking um, calamari sandwich. And then yesterday I ate, like, a bit more calamari and three bits of fruit and just was, like, shaking in my bed and, you know, <laughs> thinking dark thoughts. Um, this one Peruvian guy came in, was the only other guy in the room with me, came in and we were just talking little bits here and there um, talking about he's an older guy talking about his life and about his son about how he played football and he wanted his son to play football but his son didn't want to play football I don't know man we were just speaking in Spanish he didn't speak any English it was nice to have that with someone it felt like he really just wanted to talk to someone and I just wanted to talk to someone so we kind of had a nice a nice little bits of chats in the um, in the hostel in between watching Netflix and trying to sleep I don't really know what else to talk about, to be honest. Normally, I try and go for half an hour, but my voice is so dead. I'm what's a um. I've got a song recommendation this week. Um, do I want to do it? I don't. I don't even think I'm going to do it, to be honest. Nah, I'm going to save it. Um, 
I'm going to leave it. I'm going to, I'm, what I'm going to put on here is uh, the audio from us singing. That's what I'll do. From us in the pub singing this song about the story of us beating Man City. Um, I've got like a minute. I'll put a minute audio at the end of that. Um, so you can just hear a bit of what it was like this weekend and a bit of why my voice is fucked. Oh, also, um, I keep meaning to do this. Next week, I'm going to be in Malaysia. I'm going to be in Kuala Lumpur. Um, and I'm going to be in Myanmar in... Fuck, what's the city in Myanmar? <laughs> I should really know what city I'm going to be in. Basically, if you know any coffee shops... Uh, Yangon. Oh, no, Yangon's the week after. Let's do Kuala Lumpur and maybe Phuket if I've got time, but the main one, Kuala Lumpur. If you know a coffee shop in Kuala Lumpur and you reckon I might like it, any recommendations, hit me up, give me a message, and uh, I'll try and check it out, man. I reckon I'll have the time. Um, and then after that, the weeks after that, I've got Phuket, Yangon in Myanmar, and then Singapore as well. So if you know anything in Singapore, um, hit me up, man. I would love to know your recommendations. I feel like that'd be fun to to get that off of someone else, to have someone else kind of point me in the right direction if you've been there, if you know the cities. And other than that, thank you guys for listening so much. This has been Aiden Taco Jones. Coffee is what happens when you're busy making plans. Peace.